Hi everyone, it's Amelia Quint. Welcome to the Bad Astrologers Podcast, where Jessica Crispin and I take a look at the cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological world of the heavens. We've got an appropriately spooky Halloween episode for you this week, but first, and as always, we want to say thank you so much to our supporters. This podcast is supported entirely by our patrons. We love giving them things, which is why we've just recorded our October bonus episode on Mercury Retrograde, so that'll be available very soon. Our patrons also have access to exclusive monthly forecasts, the chance to ask questions about their personal natal charts and our Q&A videos, as well as more exciting perks rolling out in the near future. If you want to contribute, head to patreon.com badastro to do it. You can also show us some love by leaving us a positive review on iTunes so more mystics, witches, and seers can get their eyes on what we do. Or just follow us on social media. Jess is on Instagram and I'm on Twitter. Both of them are at Bad Astrologers. We hope to see you there. Now, let's start the show. It's almost Halloween, so for this episode of Bad Astrologers, we're going to talk about one of our favorite she-demons and astrological placements, Lilith. Is she a Jewish demon, a sex goddess, or something else entirely? Jessa and I talk about who she is, both in myth and legend, and in birth charts and horoscopes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our very spooky conversation. All right, so on this episode of Bad Astrologers, I wanted to talk about Lilith because she is one of my favorite energies in astrology, and I also think that she is one of the most misunderstood energies in astrology. Um, Her myth is one of the greatest um, and also one of the most maybe warped in modern culture, but we're going to talk about it and hopefully set the record straight. So for those of you who don't know, I will give you a very brief introduction to Lilith. Um, And Jessa, feel free to hop in at any point. Um, (laughs) A lot of y'all probably already know this. I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you know who Lilith is. But just in case, um, Lilith in Jewish mythology or lore, um, she was considered to be... Adam's first wife. And if I'm saying this correctly, um, ultimately, so Adam wanted her to be completely subservient to her and only have sex in the missionary position, more or less. And she's like, that's not how I want to fuck. And so he, uh, he couldn't get over it. And ultimately, she was banished forthwith from the Garden of Eden and completely demonized. Um, She's considered to be a Jewish demon, the mother of demons, she's even called. Um, She-goat is one of my favorite epithets of hers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's really, really good, right? Um, And she is, is said to rule over, you know, all of the things that traditional 
religion and spirituality deems awful about the feminine. I mean, which is kind of everything, but yeah, yeah. it's all of it. Yeah, it's pretty much pretty much all of it. <laughs> um, so specifically, Jessa, I'm curious mm-hmm. what you think about. So in current new age slash witchy culture, there's a sort of postmodern feminist reading of Lilith as a sex goddess. So mm-hmm. how accurate do you think is that portrayal of her? Yeah, there's a uh, there's an entire uh, section of modern day astrology that reads Lilith as um, a representation of how you like to fuck. Inclu- so I found out uh, while we were researching this specific episode that apparently because I'm a cancer, I'm supposed to be uh, submissive in bed, which was news to me. But anyway... Turns out, um, surprise. Turns out, because all because all because of Lilith and Cancer. Um, right. So Lilith is complicated. It's not just about fucking. Um, <laughs> and I think that just going with Lilith is some sort of feminine sexuality is just sort of buying into patriarchal, monotheistic. Uh, propaganda about Lilith and and who she was and what she was doing. So uh, I think that that very narrow definition of of reading Lilith is part of, um, it's just a reinforcement of that particular story of of who Lilith is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What are some maybe better or alternative ways that we can look at her um, besides just the all-consuming sex goddess uh so my friend uh kaku von stukrad he uh he is an astrologer and he wrote an entire book on lilith but unfortunately it's it's in fucking german uh, oh gosh no i mean my my german is not good enough uh to read technical uh 300 page books about astrology so unfortunately I only know from the conversations that I've had with him, uh, his theories on it. Um, but he reads Lilith as a connection to a more ancient form of quote unquote femininity, which doesn't necessarily mean embodiment in the female body. Obviously it's, you Mm -hmm. know, metaphorical. Um, but these traditions, these values, these ideas, and so on, that predate patriarchal, the, you know, the invention of the patriarchy and the invention of Judaism uh, and Christianity and so on. Uh, so it's just like ancient information, um, like a portal to it, essentially. Um and there are various sort of mythological reasons for this, which uh, it's we don't have that much time. Um, <laughs> but essentially, um, Lilith existed before, or what Lilith represents existed before the uh, the invention of Yahweh, and Lilith is the representation of that in astrology. I haven't heard that before about Lilith being the sort of connection to the 
pre-Christian way of being, but I completely see it, especially with some of the examples we'll talk about. It's almost like people who are Lilith people, and when I say that, I mean people who have their sun, moon, or rising really close to Lilith, and it's like very influential in their chart. Um, It's almost like the patriarchal tradition never existed for them like it doesn't apply it doesn't mm-hmm. compute um so they just go on about their merry way and it's not so much that they're actively seeking to like um destroy the status quo or something of that nature it's just that they're naturally transgressive because they are not fitting into those norms would you agree with that right yeah and i and i think that's a sort of key point of it is that it's not uh rebellion Right. So it's mm-hmm. not just like you tell me to behave this way. So I'm going to behave in the opposite way, um, which I feel like is something of and we'll talk about her later. Uh, Madonna, um, she has an unaspected Lilith. And I feel like her sort of um, rebellion and, and so on, her sexuality and it is much more performative of the taboo rather than a sort of genuine thing. Uh, people who have very strong Liliths, it just is a natural sort of um, expression. That is so interesting. I did not know that Madonna's Lilith was unaspected, but that is delightful. Um, the way that I kind of consider Lilith, because I had also thought a lot about the discourse of her being rebellion, but I don't think she is reactionary in that particular way I think it's more of a disruption especially when you start to look at her in transit um, whenever she touches something in your natal chart it's um, it's disruption maybe not on purpose just because you're wanting to be more free and expand your vision of what femininity and again that doesn't have to mean um, being embodied in a female body um, but just mm-hmm. what that energy does in your life. Um, Amelia, would you like to take us through the difference between the Liliths, by the way? We should maybe do the technical stuff first. Yes, absolutely. So for the big astrology nerds out there, um, the Lilith that we will be referencing on this podcast is called Black Moon Lilith or Dark Moon Lilith. Um, technically, it is the lunar apogee, um, which is... In the moon's orbit around Earth, it's the furthest point away. So if you think about it, that's just going to be complete darkness. Um, So that darkness becomes personified in the being of Lilith. Um, There's also an asteroid Lilith. It's 1181. Um, In my experience, I've played around with the asteroid Lilith a little bit just to compare and contrast how she functions with the dark moon Lilith. She's more of the... um, I don't know, listens to Indigo Girls a lot and, like, goes to Lilith Fair a little. <laughs> um, yeah. um, I don't know, like, she just reads a lot of Judith Butler or something like that. Um, whereas the Dark Moon slash Black Moon Lilith is way more... Um, I mean, the, the sexual aspect is there, um, but there's a lot more of the embodiment of breaking conventions there is another lilith and i tried to do research before this but i the page that i always reference um regarding this had been taken down um i'm actually going to email that astrologer and say can you uh put that back up dark star astrology marina had done some really terrific work it's called 
I'm probably going to butcher this name, Waldemaths Lilith. Um, and it's calculated even a different way. Um, but I have played around with that a little bit before. I didn't find it to be as meaningful as Asteroid Lilith or Dark slash Black Moon Lilith. Um, mm-hmm. But it's completely up to you. If you want to research that and dive in and let us know how you see that working, I would love to find out. But say, for example, you pull your chart up in astro.com or astro theme, um, the little crescent with the sort of female symbol or Venus symbol on the bottom, that's her symbol, and that's how you can find her in her chart, in your chart. Yeah. Who knew it was so complicated? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, there's three of them, you know. <laughs> of course. Well, I kind of love that there's three of them. It feels very triple goddessy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just feels like a natural way for that energy to manifest. So I th- the most fun question and the biggest question, which will probably take up the rest of the episode, is how does Lilith's energy manifest in the natal chart? How do people mm-hmm. express it? Yeah. I like um, it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, one of the ways that I hear Lilith understood um which is a little bit more complicated than just the fucking version of it, but still a little inadequate, is that it's a it's a counterpoint to Mars mm. as being a sort of feminine Mars, um, being about desire and how you, um, what you desire and how you pursue it. Whereas Mars being very um, competitive, you know, Mars kind of wants things... Uh, just so that he can take them away from somebody else, not necessarily because he actually wants it. Uh, Lilith (laughs) has a much more sort of uh, genuine expression of, no, I just want this thing, which I think is getting a little bit closer um, to to how Lilith is expressed, but I do think it's still kind of a simplification. That is really lovely. I think Lilith is so much about desire, right? and it, I feel like she's even a, almost a purer form of desire than Mars is, like you said, because Mars is using that desire as like a means to an end. They're trying to kind of aggressively achieve some sort of goal. But Lilith is almost the, the desire itself she's sometimes referred to, even though it's like switching up the people need to get their um, Kabbalic myths straight. She's sometimes referred to as the forbidden <laughs> fruit. Um, but that that's Eve and then Lilith was already cast out in the Demon Queen by then, so whatever. Go with the metaphor, just let it happen. As far as being a counterpoint to Mars, um, I, I definitely see that. I kind of use her as a counterpoint to Pluto sometimes. Um, mm. And I think because she is sort of that a more feminine manifestation of the the darkness and at times destructive nature of what Pluto is in a way mm-hmm. I almost think of her as like a Kali figure um she creates she destroys she just does whatever she wants and who know who knows the reason it's completely unknowable mm-hmm. um yeah so as far as examples of Lilith folks I want to talk about the unaspect unexpected Lilith first because the women who have this y'all are just incredible 
Yeah, the so my favorite examples of the unaspected Lilith are Courtney Love, who we kind of talked about in the Venus and Pisces um, episode, uh, and then Madonna, and then Shirley Jackson, who are kind of take on a public role as a Lilith figure in the sense of like, you know, uh, we are the, we are all Adam <laughs> casting right. them to the sides of, of the garden. Um, but in their own lives kind of aren't able to actually make it work for them. So I find it interesting mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Shirley Jackson can, well, you know, even in her, in in her personal life, uh, you know, she had the cheating husband and and the sort of uh, suffocating domesticity and so on. She wasn't able to step outside of it. But in the imagination of her literature, uh, her, she being the author of things like The Lottery and The Haunting of Hill House, and We've Always Lived in the Castle, uh, really classic Lilith literature about, uh, you know, like a girl who murders her entire family, (laughs) about uh, a girl who kind of murders her mom or lets her mom die, uh, you know, um, but wasn't able to sort of live that out. And of course, Courtney Love obviously uh, had very good uh, new wave music, about you know Lilith figures, um, and then Madonna obviously is Madonna. <laughs> Can uh, I tell you again, the- like oh, right. yeah, sorry. Can I tell you about the most uh, Lilith thing I've ever seen committed to film? Is yes, the uh, Madonna, the famous Madonna interview with David Letterman, um, mm. that just goes on and on and on, and she's completely in control of it, and it is so wild. Um, if you want to know what Lilith looks like in a conversation, just look up Madonna, David Letterman, and I promise you will find it. She just pushes every button, um, and has complete disregard for the, uh, censorship systems and yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But, you know, when I was watching Truth or Dare, you know, (laughs) the thing that I, the thing, and I've seen it a lot. I think the thing that I was sort of most surprised by was, uh, you know, she had a crush on Antonio Banderas because she's a human being with flesh and blood. (laughs) Like, you know, we all (laughs) we all want Antonio Banderas. But um, we'll talk about had no sort of had no sort of uh, capacity for just sort of, uh, you know, she's waiting around for him to call and whining that he wasn't it very sort of typical girly girl behavior um and i think it's because you know her lilith is unaspected maybe it is with courtney love in the last episode we talked a lot about how people project the lilithness onto her um Mm -hmm. and i wonder if the unaspected Lilith is that form of projection and it doesn't influence the personal life so much. I mean, there's no way to ever know. I'm probably not going to ever talk personally with Madonna and ask her how Lilith has influenced her personal life, but Mm -hmm. it does seem to be. Yeah. But, you know, they, they are sort of living out these things. um, And that's the thing about an unaspected planet is they are essentially 
these out of control parts of your life. They're not integrated into the larger, uh, the larger section of of your personality. Uh, they're not available to you in a way that is controlled. It's something that just kind of lashes out. Um, and so you can project things with it. You can have it projected upon you, but you just don't have any control over it. And so to me, you know, these are all figures who use it in their creative work as a way of getting that energy out, but they just don't seem to have access to it in their personal life or any control over it. That does seem to be the case. I'm also intrigued by the fact that um, Courtney Love and Madonna both have it in Pisces, um, which is yeah. that sort of like all-consuming, boundaryless love, um, especially since Madonna has it at 29 degrees Pisces, like the very end of the Zodiac, it, it's clear mm-hmm. that Lilith is like her cross to bear is too strong of a phrase, but it's like her karmic lesson to learn is all related to this Lilith situation. Hmm. Yeah. Also, it's I don't know. No, go ahead. I like that Shirley Jackson has hers in the eighth house as well. I'm the eighth house is obviously death and darkness and destruction, and I don't think that you get much closer to that than haunting of Hill House and the lottery, right? But also, she was a witch. I mean, she was a practicing witch. Um, so that might have been a way of trying to manage that energy as well, even if mm, uh, she just mm-hmm. used it to hex her neighbors so that she didn't like. <laughs> um, when she probably should have just been hexing, you know, her husband and um, her children, from what I understand. <laughs> I mean, you do what you got to do when you're a witch, right? Yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah, just target the energy, ladies. Just target it. <laughs> target it better. That's all I'm asking. Pick better uh, targets of for your time and energy. Yeah. It's not that bad. Um, I want to throw one into the mix. Uh, since we're talking about the eighth house, I wanted to point out that it, it's kind of generally agreed that the ruler, uh, Lilith, is... At home in Scorpio, she rules Scorpio. Um, mm. So when people have Lilith in Scorpio or they have um, Lilith in the eighth house, which is, I know, not the same, but somewhat analogous, um, it's more, much more pronounced, um, takes on much more of a role in their lives and I think is maybe more... It's just more visible, right? Um, Like Mm -hmm. when we talk about Shirley Jackson being a witch um, and writing these things and having um, her Lilith in the eighth house, um, that's that's a good example. Uh, Another great example for those of you that love her, her last record is SZA, um, who has Sun, Mercury, Mars, Pluto, Midheaven, and Lilith all conjunct in Scorpio. Which is like everything, everything, everything. And I just absolutely love on her record the sort of rawness of emotion that she brings to it um, and the willingness to talk about relationships and um, the vulnerability of that um, in this way that I really had never heard 
women in R&B do before that. I'm sure they have, but she made it so visceral um, and accessible in a way that, I mean, I feel like that's obviously why she blew up so big is that, you know, even with like her, her voice has a little quality to it. It's sort of like raspy and grasping at something. Um, but yeah, she, she makes that sort of imperfect femininity um, and, and sexualized and self-possessed femininity really, really beautiful. So if you're looking for a uh, little music to listen to besides obviously um, Madonna and Courtney Love uh, whole, you should definitely listen to SZA Control um, because it'll change your life. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously, we're going to talk about movies and directors because I feel like we do that a lot. That's how we got our start. It's great. Um, So two of my favorite directors, um, Stanley Kubrick being the first, have their Lilith and Scorpio. So Stanley Kubrick had... Um, Lilith conjunct his moon in Scorpio and in the first house. Depending on how you read, some people might even say that it's rising. Um, so it has a really profound effect um, on his life. And when I think of his movies, especially Eyes Wide Shut, and I'm, I am not about to talk about Eyes Wide Shut in the way that I imagine you could be expecting. I could talk about Eyes Wide Shut forever, but I'm going to limit it to Lilith-based discussion. <laughs> Um, so I think it's well known, obviously, that Stanley Kubrick adored his wife, was a very close relationship with his daughter, um, and the marital horror in so many of his films, like The Shining and An Eyes Wide Shut, is such an interesting way of bringing the, the dark feminine into his works, um, and I just, I don't know, it's just a almost a kind of unique and and curious thing. I feel like when we see Lilith and talk about her, it's always in the realm of of sex. But I think especially with um, movies like The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut, that kind of horror, the horror of the destruction of a relationship. um, I mean, we know what happens in The Shining. I won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen it because it's Halloween and you should just check it out. And then obviously Eyes Wide Shut is um, literally Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman when they were married. They filmed it in New York in the apartment they were staying in. Um, And that sort of degeneration of a relationship. Um, It is a very interesting way of... Some people do talk about Lilith as being the um, homewrecker or the side chick. Or this this energy that can be toxic to relationships if not channeled appropriately. And I, I'm fascinated by the fact that Kubrick is able to hold both of those, hold space for both of those things, both like allowing the women in his life and in his films to be fully realized women, and then also, um, you know, depicting the the scary parts of relationships that Lilith can bring about too. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and he faked the moon landing so uh, obviously there's there's that as well clearly moon conjunct Lilith and Scorpio in the first house is a fake moon landing it's basically a confession right there that he faked the moon landing I know (laughs) oh gosh so many thoughts Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Also, it's the 40th anniversary of Alien, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, very spooky, obviously. But uh, the director, Ridley Scott, um, has his son and North Node conjunct Lilith in Sagittarius. And I feel like that energy is just like so present in the person of Ripley. Um, kind of obsessed with her. I keep saying I'm going to buy a flight suit so I can be for her for Halloween. Um, yeah, that's that. What directors do you love that have uh, major Lilla things going on? Um, well, Paul Verhoeven uh, has Lilith conjunct his midheaven. And in that particular case, his Lilith is at 29 degrees Capricorn, and his midheaven is zero degrees Aquarius. My midheaven is zero degrees Aquarius. So me and Paul Verhoeven, basically the same person. But um, <laughs> of course, it is. Of course, I mean, obvious. I think it's. I think it's obvious. So you made showgirls too. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, but he made two specifically. I feel like Lilith related films, which are Basic Instinct and L, mm-hmm. um, which I think are, and the new one that he's. Uh, hasn't come out yet which is about a um a nun who starts having ecstatic uh sexual experiences of god um which is also very little um <laughs> but anyway um basic instinct and l are essentially movies of women being sort of trapped in these heterosexual dynamics and in one um the women find their way out through murdering the men obviously uh and in the second one uh kind of the same actually now that i think about it she doesn't directly do it but she pretty much has it done so uh that's one that's one way of manifesting lilith energy is is murder i feel like um I feel like there's this a theme is, of that going on here. It's kind of yeah. Alarming. It's all just my choices, though. I'm not trying to say <laughs> this is a cry for help. I'm just saying. I'm just pointing it out. Yes. Which is probably dumb because now if I do commit a murder, everyone there's, there's like I basically have a confession in this. We episode, have it on so. tape. It's gonna be on Fuck. every news channel. Yep. Fuck. Um, <laughs> but also David Fincher. Um, he has Lilith conjunct his Mercury in Virgo. Um, and I feel like his movies are super Lilithy. Um, every you know, even going back to Fight Club, because he managed in the transition between the novel and the movie to actually make Marla into a character rather than just a collection of eccentricities. Um, <laughs> so Marla true. is 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 a pretty good uh, Lilith figure in that movie of. Um, being marginalized and eccentric and uh, wholly individual. Um, she's, there's really no one like her in film and yet she feels like a real person. And I think that that's, um, that's not, that's not an easy thing to manage. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of rare um, to have somebody as fully, flushed out as as Marla. We all know um, fully who she is, right? 
But but obviously Gone Girl is also a Lilith movie, which is don't murder your husband, just set him up for your murder, and is basically the same thing. So we're back to my theme <laughs> of Lilith equaling murder. Yes. Maybe Lilith does equal murder. We gotta look at are we gonna look at charts and murders? This is not gonna be a true crime podcast, you guys. I won't do it. Well, both Osama bin Laden and Timothy McVeigh had very prominent uh, Lilith. So, oh, uh, no, 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 no. That's not I'm sorry that I keep bringing up terrorism. I'm writing about <laughs> terrorism. It just bleeds into everything in my life right now. Uh, yeah, that's that's my excuse. Maybe it's... Uh, I, I'm not even going to try and explain the Osama bin Laden, Timothy McVeigh angle. They are certainly disrupting the status quo. That's true. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's terrible. Back on the topic of movies, um, I also wanted, and it's not just because I watched it uh, last weekend and loved it, as always. Um, I feel like Black Swan is such a Lilith movie, um, an imperfect movie, but a lovely movie and one of my favorites. Um, Winona Ryder has, uh, who plays the wonderful um, sort of, aging uh prima ballerina who gets uh knocked out of the top spot by natalie portman um she has lilith exact conjunct her son in scorpio where she also has her mercury and venus i mean i feel like witchy instagram and twitter is very much aware of her scorpionic and goth qualities um and then of course natalie portman has lilith rising in scorpio um i mean she's never really shied away from movies with strong sexual content and has been able to do it um, well. Also, with the black swan angle, I wanted to mention that sometimes uh, Lilith, either by transit or a a harsh aspect in a chart, can mean, like, a fucked-up relationship with the mother figure. Um, So that's just an FYI to be aware of. And obviously, the film Black Swan... Um, depicts the sort of grotesque and damaging nature of that um, really, really uh, well and arrestingly. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anybody else we may have missed as far as Lilith people? Uh, well, there is there is myself, alas. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm so excited. So Ugh. you have Lilith conjunct your son and what else? Yeah, Jupiter? so it's it's I have uh this very tight conjunction of uh Lilith, Sun, Jupiter, and Eros all at eighteen Ooh. degrees um cancer. So so it's a good time. <laughs> Definitely a good time. So how do you yeah. experience being one of the Lilith people? How, how does that show up in your life? Well, it's hard. It's hard to say because obviously when it's a bunch of planets all crammed together, it's hard to say what's what. It's a bunch of just tangled energy. So it's hard to say, True. is this my Lilith? Is this my Jupiter? Whatever. Um, I will say that this is in the third house. Um, and... Uh, I talk a lot and I talk a lot of shit and I uh, have a tendency <laughs> to, um, you know, uh, swear a lot and speak my mind without any fear of consequences. 
Uh, so I don't know. I don't know, actually. It's funny that I am a little bit disconnected from my experience of Lilith. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like Lilith is so prominent in the way that you at least project yourself. Like you've made a career out of like talking mad shit in the best way possible, the most admirable and necessary way possible, right? It's awesome. I will say that I feel like there is, um, I do think that the experience of Lilith often in this particular culture in this moment in which we exist has a lot to do with projection and Mm -hmm. uh, rejection and demonization um, in the sense that a lot of these, a lot of people that have prominent Lilith um, find themselves on the outside of the culture for one reason or another a lot of the time. Uh, things are rejected, things are seen as being too dangerous, too much, too whatever. Um, you know, both David Fincher and Verhoeven have been accused of making movies that are quote unquote dangerous or fascist. Um, and I, and I feel, and obviously Madonna, Courtney Love, et cetera. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's part of it, of the Lilith experience is being seen as too much, um, or having a, 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 um, a projected version of, uh, yourself presented back to you. That I would say is the more difficult part of having, uh, Lilith. But the nice thing about it is it's easy to shake off if you have a well-integrated Lilith. It's just like, well, fuck them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and I will also say uh, that my experience of Lilith is that uh, I went to Lilith Fair in the 90s when it first started. And it was the most boring garbage that I'd ever heard <laughs> because um, it was all these well-behaved women and Lilith would have hated it. Um it was, you know, folk songs and fucking, you know, acoustic, let's all hold hands and feel things bullshit. No. There was no, um, uh, there was absolutely so, sort of no eccentricity or I don't give a shit or any of the sort of more love, not even desire. Um, and the only Lilithy experience that I had there was it was uh, Liz Fair. It was the year that she was performing, so I think it was the second year, and she got up on stage and sang a song about liking violent sex, uh, and made everybody incredibly uncomfortable. And it was the only good moment in the eight hours <laughs> that I was there. That is both the first part of that is both supremely sad. And the second part, I feel like, redeems it a little bit. I wish I could yeah. have uh, been present for that. That sounds awesome. I don't know what Sarah McLachlan's astrology is, but I oh, would God. guess uh, that her Lilith is not is not doing anything very interesting. I'm looking it up. I'm sorry. Uh, you can do some filler while I while I look at. I need Sarah to know. Astrology. No, I'm I'm completely hung <laughs> up on Sarah McLachlan's astrology now. Um, the sad thing about Sarah McLaughlin is now when you say that name, like I only think of like the sad puppies in cages. Um, oh, of course. That ad yeah. that comes on in like 3 a.m. on network cable. 
Oh my God, it's in Gemini. It's in Gemini on her descendant, which means that it's something that she projects onto others so as not to experience it herself. That's really interesting. That's oh. very interesting. All right, now we have you solved the problem it. of why is Sarah McLaughlin <laughs> like that? You hate to see it. It's unaspected though. Yeah. Yeah, but oh, on her, on the descendant, I feel like that's that's I think true. That's, that's the key. True. Yeah, and that's so genuinely disappointing because Lilith and Gemini can be so good. It's like the word witch who just conjures things by speaking them, and then everybody else has to deal with it. Um, you're disappointing us, Sarah McLaughlin. You should do do more with your Lilith. <laughs> <laughs> Look, she's been disappointing us for a very long time. It's not it's not just now. That's very true. It's not like it's a surprise <laughs> or something. Um uh, so to wrap us up, I'm wondering what advice do you as a Lilith person have to give people on how to I don't want to say deal with how to embrace this energy or this part of their astrological chart and not project it Sarah McLaughlin style? Um, I feel like thinking of Lilith as a bigger experience than just sex or, you know, I do what I want or, you know, this sort of faux um, feminist empowerment moment, which I think, you know, the reason why Lilith got embraced by feminists is because of a very silly interpretation of of Lilith that was still very much uh, defined by these patriarchal codes. So if we can understand her outside of that context um, and see her as something older, something that predates these rules of behavior, then I think she becomes much more interesting. I wanted to ask you, because I think that you've paid more attention to this than I have, what a Lilith transit is like and whether or not that sort of gives somebody an opportunity um, to experience that energy if they don't have, you know, a well or prominently integrated uh, Lilith in their natal chart. That is an awesome question. And I, uh, we did not plan this out ahead of time, but I'm actually having a Lilith transit right now. So I feel like I can speak to this particularly well. So I'm having Neptune and Lilith together crossing over my North Node um, in Pisces, which is just, it, it's been a lot, a lot of emotions, um, crying in bathrooms or something like that. But as far as the overall Lilith experience, I feel like the tears are more of a, a Neptunian thing. Um, Lilith can be, as a transit, both amazing and terrifying. It, it depends on how you approach the experience. So, Jessa, like you mentioned, if you're approaching it as something um, big and all-encompassing and full of possibilities and you are open to change and open to feeling uncomfortable on the path to, you know, getting closer to desire or even just like allowing yourself to feel desire. Um, since we were talking about Lilith being related to breaking through oppression and stopping projecting the things that you want onto others as a way to, I don't know, make your life easier. Um, if you are open to changing, then it can be wonderful. It can be this thing that comes in and gives you the sort of 
gumption or gusto to tell people no like like fuck off why would I possibly care about your opinion or to um just grow a backbone um and and be a lot more uh strong and confident in what your uh beliefs and opinions are and confident in your own sexuality in your femininity again if if you're embodied in a female body or not um, that's the positive. It's sort of this, there's this righteous anger that comes along with it, I think, um, where you can learn how to channel um, frustrated feelings that you may be having, possibly related to that area of your natal chart that she's transiting, um, into really productive things. Like, I've gotten really into um, working out and lifting weights, like, and transforming my body in that way has been, it, it's it's a much healthier way to deal with anger than just, like, being bitter all the time, right? Um, you can express it by, I don't know, like, having the tough conversations with people that need to be had. But I will say, that if you are not ready for the Lilith, the full Lilith experience, um, it can be anything from a minor irritant to a pretty serious disruption. Um, because when Lilith comes along, she does sort of call you on your shit. Um, and things that you were okay being quiet about before and saying, oh, well, I'm going to just um, not talk about this to keep the peace or not ask any questions. Um, she sort of, she sort of, like, if your life is like a Jenga game, she just comes in and starts taking pieces out of the Jenga game until it gets wobblier and wobblier. And eventually you see, oh, well, the structure needs a complete overhaul. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like a good sort of visual representation of Lilith is Kiki Smith's amazing sculpture um mm -hmm. which is currently up at the met um but sometimes they take it down um and wow. i just looked and i can't find kiki smith's astrology which is bullshit and we really do need to have like some sort of wikipedia thon version of uh entering people's birth information in uh into uh the astro banks but anyway um so she represents Lilith as this dark figure crouching up on a wall with these bright open eyes. And she is both innocent and menacing at the same time. And mm. she's kind of like just above your head. And it's a very sort of unsettling, um, but also kind of funny uh, experience being around the sculpture all at the same time and I do feel like that's a good Lilith representation of it's both menacing and funny and innocent and charming but also worrying <laughs> that you have a lady crouching above your head staring at you it should it should be a little bit worrying um, but to me it's a really good representation of who Lilith is both mythologically and uh, you know, how she appears astrologically. That's so completely perfect. Yeah, menacing, innocent, totally creepy sometimes. Uh, because I feel like one of the things about her version of desire, right, is it's kind of pure. It, it's it, because yeah. it's not the desire of Mars. It's just sort of like, no, this is just, a, it has a natural uh, feeling to it. Um that is a little bit innocent. Um, it's not, 
it's not necessarily her fault that she wants your husband. It's just, <laughs> right. you know, what is she supposed to do about it? Right. It's just what um, she wants. Yeah. Yeah. It's just what she wants. I think that um, idea of her desire being like pure or innocent in some fashion goes back to her myth, right? Of she was the original wife of Adam in the Garden of Eden, right? Before people even knew that sin was a thing, right? Um, who you don't know to be embarrassed to be naked if you don't know being naked is, is bad or embarrassing, right? So that's mm-hmm. definitely how how she functions. Mm. So everybody go out and take off your clothes, dress in fig leaves, <laughs> and dance around or something. And go to the Met. Yeah. <laughs>